This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, January 25th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, public concern prompts discussion of county zoning. Mountain Village bans helicopters landing in yards. Monoskier reflects on her journey and a new film. And a mountain weather forecast. Lee Taylor opened a rare joint meeting of the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners and the County Planning Commission on Wednesday with a succinct goal. We want to talk about the language of the CH um, and see what we can do to improve upon it. That's why we're here. That's the CH Zone District, or the Community Housing Zone District. Taylor chairs the Planning Commission, which has been hard at work for the past year and a half, on the East End Master Plan, a vision document to set the course for land use, sustainability, and infrastructure over the next decade or so in the county's East End. While, as Taylor implies, the commissioners had not gathered to discuss the East End plan itself, their conversation on the CH Zone District is an offshoot of that process. Public comment during planning sessions has been fixated on the CH Zone District, so the commissioners decided to address those concerns in a separate, parallel process. County Planning Director Kay Simonson opens with a presentation. By way of background, the Community Housing Zone District was adopted on December 8th of 2021, following a series of Planning Commission and BOCC work sessions. She says the Zone District has only been applied twice, only once successfully. The Diamond Ridge rezone was approved by the Board of County Commissioners, overturned by district court, and currently in litigation. Uh, However, the Mountain Village Alexander property rezone was approved in 2023. And uh, so we do have a property in the county that is zoned community housing. The CH district was introduced to encourage and in some cases expedite affordable housing projects across the county's east end. The district has become a source of controversy, as many residents say it opens the pristine Telluride region to a flood of high-density development. This perception comes from three different phases in the zone district's language, says Simonson. There are basically three topics um, that I've highlighted that have come out from all the public comment that we've been receiving. These seem to be the three biggest issues uh, for discussion. The first is the... Uh, Second paragraph of the purpose statement with its bold underline. In strong language, that statement says the county need not consider surrounding parcels when rezoning a plot of land to a higher density CH development. So a dense cluster of housing could theoretically be placed beside a lower density neighborhood. Planning Commissioner Jocelyn Lifton-Zolene points out another section of the code clarifies this bold statement by saying commissioners should pay attention to surrounding areas of land, even while compatibility isn't their main focus. Lifton-Zolene reflects, I feel like there's this kind of specter of just like Shandoka-style development on any parcel that's ever rezoned for CH. And I want to assure people that when we're making decisions, we're looking at stuff much more thoughtfully than that. Um, So I think that the statement in the second paragraph, because it's supported by this other piece, I don't think it's inappropriate. While Lifton Zolene says keep it, Taylor says he thinks the county should strike the controversial sentence 
because elsewhere in the code, the intent is stated more delicately. And he says the code still gives us the latitude to make decisions that may not be perfectly in character with the neighborhood, but for a greater public purpose. County staff noted the differing opinions and will return with various rewrites of the code purpose statement. Then came a long discussion on density. Currently, the CH district allows up to 20 units per acre, quote-unquote, by right. The phrase by right has raised public concern that any developer who receives a CH designation can max out the density potential. Commissioners agree striking that phrase in order to assuage public concern is a no-brainer. The stickier issue is that 20 unit per acre density. Many commissioners felt it could be lowered to 15 units per acre. But Commissioner Lifton-Zolin says lowering the number is unnecessary. We have guardrails and all throughout the land use code, you know, decision making relies on the decision making bodies. And as much as people worry about the future, I think we have to trust that the people doing this job are stewards of the community's best interest. And even when we disagree, you know, the people doing this job will continue to be working in good faith. During the meeting, commissioners heard over an hour of public comment. The work session concluded with commissioners directing county staff to make a number of changes. Strike the phrase by right, keep the 20 unit per acre density maximum, rewrite the purpose statement, and eliminate all one-step zoning changes. So all decisions must now be seen by both the planning and the county commissioners. Staff will come back to commissioners with potential changes for further discussion. In a double-header planning day, commissioners turn to the issue of solar regulations in the afternoon. A KOTO news report on that discussion will be forthcoming. The town of Mountain Village is banning helicopters from landing on front yards in the town. This is an issue that I've never had to deal with before. Mountain Village town manager Paul Weiser. A couple weeks ago, we had a helicopter uh, land in a backyard and uh, stay there for a few days. Uh, My understanding is that although this is uh, a unique thing, it also was quite disturbing to the neighbors, um, both in terms of the noise that it created and also the surprise in having a helicopter just land right next door to you. Weiser says their initial reaction was to reach out to Kenny Mampa at the Telluride Regional Airport. Only to find out that Mountain Village is not actually within the airport airspace and Kenny does not have jurisdiction over us. Uh, So uh, we then looked in our municipal code and surprise, surprise, uh, we have no regulations with respect to the landing of a helicopter in the town of Mountain Village. Mountain Village Town Council voted on an ordinance earlier this month that only allows helicopters to land in town-approved landing sites. Helitrax uh, is already permitted to land at uh, the peaks, and so if we ever wanted to, we would designate another place for people to land. Um, and it's also important to note that this doesn't prevent uh, emergency uh, flight apparatuses to land uh, in Mountain Village if they need to. The language also exempts helicopters, quote, owned or operated by the state or federal government or any political subdivision, department or agency of the state or federal government. When it comes to helicopter operations from Telski, Weiser says the town could approve a landing site. Now, obviously, if they're up on the mountain, <coughs> our boundaries yeah. you know, don't go up that high. So 
that's something that they have to deal with uh, with the county and the Forest Service. If an individual does land a helicopter outside of an approved landing site, there will be a $2,000 fine. But Councilmember Pete Dupre worries that's not enough of a deterrent. My concern is if I own a $10 million helicopter, $2,000 isn't not that much. And so maybe I'll just land, I'll pay you the two grand, and we'll piss off the community. To that, Mountain Village Town Attorney David McConaughey says they can get an injunction with the court. We can enforce our code through injunctions as well as fines. If the fines don't so work, we what can... Is that, what is that? What's the process? You go to the municipal court and you say they're violating the code, issue an injunction saying don't do that. They do it again. You're in contempt. You get thrown in jail. Okay. That answer was satisfactory for Dupre, and council unanimously approved the ordinance on first reading. Mountain Village Town Council will vote on the ordinance on second and final reading on February 15th. The new film, Advice for Girls, puts the spotlight on women in today's ski industry. One of the athletes featured in the film is Haley Griffin who, following a life-changing car accident in 2019, took up monoskiing and is currently competing for a place on the U.S. Paralympic team. Griffin grew up in Ridgeway and spoke with KOTO about her injury, her skiing, and appearing in the new film. She begins recalling the Ridgeway of her childhood over two decades ago. In the 90s, I remember us just roaming the neighborhoods. We were like free roam kids, you know, and kids used to be able to do that. And so after college, I decided I needed to move back to Colorado because it was more of a, a fit. And I've been bouncing around Colorado ever since. I've lived in Denver. I've lived in Port Collins. I've lived in Crested Butte, Telluride. Um, I lived in Paonia. So I've been all over Colorado. Let's see, about five years ago, I was in a car accident and uh, broke my spine in a couple of places. And I I think my vertebrae just like exploded. (laughs) So it went into my spinal cord. So I'm basically paralyzed from the knees down. I mean, I played some sports when I was a kid, but really I've never been an athlete as an adult. Um, I think what did it for me was when I was at Craig Hospital, they have this workout really that they call the big dog challenge and you have to do a bunch of different repetitions of different things like throwing a ball at a wall or doing the ropes um and if you do that in a certain amount of time then they deem you a big dog um and i did that while i was in the hospital and i remember one of my friends saying like oh we're gonna see Haley at the paralympics and that's when my brain started kind of churning so uh, I started skiing in Crested Butte and just kind of picked it up pretty easily and became obsessed with it. Where that started really was the freedom that it gave me uh, to get out of my chair and to do something. And now at this point, you know, do it better than a lot of people who are able-bodied. So I had met Paul Savage through a few friends and ended up moving to Telluride and staying in his totally accessible, awesome house for a season. That was, what, three seasons ago? 
Um, and that's where I learned how to ski the moguls, and I volunteered with CAST when I got to know everyone there, and um, it was one of the best seasons of my life so far. Um, Telluride is just one of the most fun places to ski. Before my accident, I was an alcoholic. Um, I was with this guy. I was struggling. I mean, I was still making things work, but just was kind of lost. And also the guy I was with after my accident became abusive. So I was just in a very, very dark place uh, when I came home from the hospital. It almost felt like skiing was my new purpose. And it really has. I mean, it. I still feel that way. Um, it's physically how strong I've now become because of how strong you need to be to be a racer and to ski well. And or I have so many best friends all over the place now because of skiing. I think they had heard of me, and I think the advice for girls crew was asking around, and so my name came up. So yeah, this was really out of the blue and happened really, really quickly. I think they messaged and a couple weeks later, maybe, if that, we were out here skiing and they shot in two days and we were done. And then it came out in October. I guess I just wanted to add, because I didn't, I think I said this when they were filming, but they didn't make it into a, the film. Um, but that my advice for girls is to not wait for anyone to come and save you or take you out on adventures um, and to do that for yourself, to be your own savior. Um, because if you're just going to sit around and wait, nothing's going to happen. you got to go out and adventure on your own. That's monoskier Haley Griffin reflecting on her journey and her appearance in Advice for Girls. The Telluride Adaptive Sports Program will host a screening of the film on Tuesday, January 30th at the Palm Theater at 5.30 p.m. Griffin will be in attendance at the screening and she'll offer a Q&A. Find out more at TellurideAdaptiveSports.org. What better way to start your Friday than a story time with a furry friend? A furry friend who's also a hero of sorts. Tomorrow, January 26th, Pika, a trained avalanche dog who began working with the Telluride Ski Patrol last winter, will descend from the slopes to the Wilkinson Public Library program room for some storytelling and socializing. Ski Patrol is assisted by a whole half dozen Avi dogs, and Pika, a two-year-old yellow lab, is one of their newest. Storytime with Pika or Cuentos con Pika will be a bilingual event, or perhaps trilingual if you speak dog. Woof! It kicks off this Friday at 10.30 a.m. Next up in canine news from Colorado, a new map is being released which tracks the location of gray wolves in the state. Colorado Parks and Wildlife will update the map monthly with the GPS data on where wolves have traveled in the past 30 or so days. The information will be released to the public, though CPW notes livestock managers and recreationists will likely take a particular interest in the status of Colorado's wolf population. 
In December 2023, CPW released 10 wolves into the wild after a voter referendum in 2019 opted to reintroduce the species into the state. Those 10 wolves joined two known wolves, and all 12 are currently being monitored with active GPS tracking. The latest data shows the wolves are currently located north of I-70 in the summit in Eagle County areas. Wolf reintroduction has been a divisive topic in Colorado over the past few years, facing significant opposition from the state's ranching community. CPW will not share live or exact GPS locations of the animals in order to protect their safety. You can learn more and see the first map of wolf activity at cpw.state.co.us. The Republican leader in the State House of Representatives resigned from his leadership position on Wednesday after reports of a 2022 DUI arrest surfaced last week. House Minority Leader Mike Lynch addressed the chamber shortly after the opening gavel. I am stepping down because it is the right thing to do, because I've become a distraction for my caucus, and that is getting in the way of the hard work that we have to do in this building. On Thursday morning, the House Republican Caucus elected Rose Puglisi to take over their leadership. Puglisi is a first-term lawmaker from Colorado Springs, but had been serving as the assistant minority leader in the House. Several caucus members were dismayed Lynch hadn't disclosed his legal troubles before he was elected minority leader mere months after the arrest. Lynch remains in his representative seat and will continue his bid for Congress in the 4th District. Data from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment shows that respiratory illnesses across the state are on the decline. That's much different than the trend the CDC is seeing across the nation. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Tribal Radio's Sarah Flower spoke with Dr. Rachel Hurleyhe, the state epidemiologist, about those trends. Over the holidays, unfortunately, we know that transmission levels for all three of the big viruses um, were quite high. So COVID-19 transmission, influenza transmission, probably the peak of our influenza season was about a week or two, a couple of weeks ago. So we seem to be coming down from that now. And then also the third virus, RSV, also probably pretty similar timing where it looks like we're, we're in a early decline right now. So good news, though, still plenty of those viruses out there. And also really, really important to remember that it is not uncommon for us to see a second wave of any of these viruses. So we we certainly have learned that over and over again with COVID-19, but that also can happen with influenza. Keep in mind that influenza is not a single virus. When you get the influenza vaccine, it's covering multiple viruses. And we often see that one virus peaks early in the season. And then later in the spring, we could perhaps see um, a different virus, another influenza virus cause another wave of illness. Um, and that certainly can happen with RSV as well, where we can see an extended season or a second peak. So we know that um, even though the numbers are decreasing now, that doesn't mean we don't have potential for them to increase. How are Colorado's uh, numbers looking overall with vaccine rates? I know nationally they've been low, it appears. Yeah, so it depends on which vaccine you're talking about. I think it's important to keep in mind that the COVID-19 vaccine is still um, new for people. And so we are seeing higher vaccination rates with influenza compared to COVID-19 vaccination. Um, but we also have some really great data, local data, Colorado data, 
That's now on our website, demonstrating the vaccine effectiveness associated with the newest COVID dose. So certainly encourage people to check that out and see the added protection that you get against severe disease in particular. So against hospitalization and death, if you get that latest COVID-19 vaccine. And of course, the, the same is true for influenza. And now, of course, we have some new vaccines for RSV products. These are, of course, new just this season, and so people are just learning about them, um, but they are particularly important for people over the age of 60. Um, that's where the recommendation for the adult vaccine is. Um, also for pregnant women to protect their um, baby after birth. And then there's also a product for um, newborn babies through um, the, it depends on, on whether there's risk factors present or not for at least the first few months. I have some curiosity, too, about the newest COVID variant, which is JN.1, something that across the nation was 5% of the cases in November, 61% of the cases right now nationwide, and uh, according to CDPHE, 55% of the cases here in Colorado. What's your take on JN.1, and what do you think the general public need to know about this variant? Yes. So we know that this particular variant is very closely related to the other Omicron subvariants that have been switched. There are some small changes, and we're still learning more about those changes and how significant they are. But anytime we see one of these new variants or subvariants emerge, it's for a reason. That virus has some sort of advantage that allows it to displace other viruses that have been circulating. And in the case of JN1, we think it's probably more likely to spread more easily from person to person, and then probably also has some additional degree of immune escape, meaning that if you've previously been infected and have immunity from that, or you've been vaccinated and have immunity from that, this, this virus is a little bit more likely to escape that and cause infection. Um, the data we've seen so far suggests that the vaccine is continuing to work really well. Um, I mentioned the vaccine effectiveness data that we have. Um, but in general, we know that these new variants have some sort of advantage. And so we've been watching it closely. I think the good news is that even if that, as it's arrived on the scene here in Colorado, we did see a little bit of an increase in our indicators and increase in hospitalizations and other measures, but not a dramatic increase like what we saw when Omicron first emerged two years ago. So it does look like it perhaps could have had an impact here on the amount of transition, but it hasn't been a dramatic Dr. Rachel Herlihy, thanks so much for joining us here today. I'm Sarah Flower with KSUT Tribal Radio. A new skate park in downtown Cortez held its first public skate session on Tuesday. As Chris Clements of KSJD reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio, members of the community came together to shred the rails. The Beach Street Skate Park was created and funded by residents and local businesses in Cortez so that skateboarders would have a chance to practice their tricks even during the winter months when another skate park in town is closed. Annie Cedar, a volunteer at the park, says the park operates in a shared warehouse with different pieces that can be set up and put away quickly. Cedar says the skate park gives young people and adults in rural Montezuma County the chance to meet up, make friends, and do some serious kickflips. There's a whole generation of people that were part of bringing skating to Cortez and giving it life and all of the challenges that that brought with it. I feel really grateful to have folks from like those older generations who help to like make skateboarding a, a thing and, and bring it to the community. 
Local youth artists were commissioned by the skate park to paint on the ramps and rails, according to Cedar. After opening in December, Beach Street will hold its skate sessions on Tuesday evenings from 6 to 8. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low near 20 degrees. Two to four inches of accumulation is possible. There's a 50% chance of snow showers on Friday with a high near 30. Expect clear skies to return by Friday night when the low is near 10 degrees. Saturday calls for sun with a high in the mid-30s, followed by a mostly clear night with a low near 20. This has been the news for Thursday, January 25th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.